I don't think anything that we're saying is going to be sensitive to the state librarian or Diane Cummings. <laughs> okay, so. Hi, this is Scott Lay, and this is a special issue of Sacktown Talks by the Nooner, uh, recording a real quick uh, audio-only podcast uh, this afternoon to have a conversation with my friend Mike Madrid, longtime Republican political consultant here in California. And obviously, we had uh, some major um, uh, political news this morning with uh, Kamala Harris's, uh, the end of Kamala Harris's uh, campaign for uh, President of the United States, um, the junior United States Senator from California. She's not up for re-election this year here. She's up for re-election in uh, 2022. But obviously this is a, a big issue um, for her, for uh, her campaign staff, uh, and for some people here in California that might have been looking at the seat that uh, and, and possibly be, to be appointed by Governor Newsom. So, Mike, thank you again for being, this is the third time I think we've had you on um, yeah. Sackdown Talks. Oh, it's Nooner. always great to do the do the New York podcast. You have a good, good Thanksgiving? Time. I had a great Thanksgiving. That's good got to hear. spend some time with moms, just me and mom for a few days and get caught up on some stuff. But thanks for asking. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm going to spend time with mom and get some time in with dad too. It's coming so quickly. Looking forward to it. Definitely coming in. But uh, and speaking of Christmas, uh, I think this is, ties into this conversation. December 26th is the deadline for people that are considered generally recognized presidential candidates to, be, to pull their names off of the California ballot. Um, the filing deadline that is this Friday or next Wednesday for uh, those races without an eligible incumbent running. Um, you know, everybody's talking about the filing deadlines, but that was moot for the purposes of presidential campaigns. But there still is a ticking clock. Um, and that may have been one of the issues in uh, Kamala's announcement this morning. What, it was a surprise to me. I had written the Nooner today, and I'd written an item about Governor Newsom. We can talk about this, talking about you know Governor Newsom going to Iowa to campaign for her. Um, and so that was, I was all done and it was a complete surprise and everybody in the media I know wow. said it was a surprise. Yeah. What was your take? I was actually doing an interview on the Gavin Newsom recall and the Republican Party's involvement in that fiasco uh, when the call came in across the wire. You so use singular. I believe there are two. There are two uh, recalls, of course. <laughs> you can't grift enough nowadays. You've got to find other ways to raise money off of each other. So, uh, you know, I was doing doing radio in L.A., a KNX spot, and uh, he's like, hey, this just broke. Let's talk about, you know, yeah. Kamala Harris's decision. and. It, 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 look, it is a little bit unique, I think, being a Californian. It does have a different set of circumstances. I've been talking very publicly for some time about the fact that there really is very little incentive for Democrats to get out of this race because of the proportional uh, nature of the primaries. And, we, you know, if you look back at 2008 when it's Barack Obama versus Hillary Clinton, you remember that race went all the way to Puerto Rico and Hillary yep. was not dropping out because one would win one state, the other the next day would win the next other states and it would bounce back and forth. But the delegate count remained relatively close because right. unlike Republicans who are winner-take-all states, the proportional nature of the delegate selection process makes it very difficult even in a two-way race. The same thing happened in 2016. 16, right? Sorry, I'm getting old. Uh, with, Which with, is why we had the superdelegate right, issue. Exactly. With Bernie and Hillary Clinton, yeah. you know, Bernie took it all the way essentially to the convention. Mm -hmm. Certainly took it to California with the late primary. Point is this. with Because Martin... Martin uh, Martin O'Malley had captured a bunch of delegates. I think that was a third wheel. Yeah, as a proportion. No I was have to remember, was. was it John Edwards or Martin O'Malley? Right. I mean, <laughs> same guy. Third I've never seen him in the same room. <laughs> um, and so what happens is, even with two candidates in the race, the Democrats nationally have set up a primary scenario where it's very there's really little incentive to get out. Right. 
And with 10 candidates, there's less incentive. Mm -hmm. You might as well take your delegates to the convention and get something for them. Be part of creating the next president of the United States, get a cabinet position, get an ambassadorship, get the plank of the platform, whatever, you know, float your boat. And the only exception to the rule I see of people getting out, viable candidates that, that are no names anyway, would be Kamala Harris because of the California primary and it's being her home state. And that has two functions, I think. You have the, the issue of what the embarrassment might have been right, right. Uh, because it does require 15% threshold both for statewide delegates as, as well as by congressional district delegates. Right. And she's polling about 8% in California. Right. Um, and she's been declining in Iowa. I think they, the real clear politics average is down to like less than 2 per, or right around 2% Tulsa in the last couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Bloomberg is ahead of her. Yeah. Um, but I think that the other dynamic um, for a United States Senator from California is there aren't very many acceptable cabinet positions. The right. only thing that, you know, even arguably a Californian wouldn't want to be attorney general, leave leave United States Senate to be attorney general. Right. Secretary of State is debatable because right. that's such a historic yeah, kind of thing. It's a, it's a huge role. And her chances of being vice president. And she still can be a possibility, but... Um, you know, we could talk about where her possible matchups might be, mm-hmm. but, you know, to, to quit and have to go back to be the United States Senator from California, you know, it's, it's not a bad <laughs> it's thing. An, it's embarrassing for a week or two, and you have to feel really bad just about staff and donors. But, but it's still, still a United California States U.S. Senator. Senator. Right. Yeah, ask Diane Feinstein if it's a good job. You stick around that job for a long time because it's a great place to be. Yeah. You know, if you're Jeff Sessions, you give up a seat in Alabama to go be, you know, uh, the Attorney, Attorney General, General. Right. Yeah. Those, Somebody those, might do Secretary of Defense. You might do that all day you know. long. But yeah. California is a very different place. I think you're exactly right. Because you're also reasons. not going to, unlike some of those, speaking of Jeff, Jeff Sessions, if you leave California for one of those positions, your chances of ever getting that seat no, back are you'll never, slim. It's never coming back. And going back and being governor is tough. There are so many people on the bench, and we could talk also about those people that are probably disappointed today that were looking at Gavin, and particularly there's a desire, and this is an area of your expertise, a desire certainly among the Latino community, you know, to have the first United States senator. For sure. And um, and so we could talk about, you know, Alex Padilla, Attorney General Javier Becerra, right. um, Kevin DeLeon. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are several, and, and um, you know, nobody was rooting for Kamala Luz. Right. But a lot of people were asking, what happens if she moves on? I think that's right. And it would have been a whole different set of dominoes falling, of course, the way they do, because those, if any of those people you mentioned had taken the seat, with the exception of Kevin KDL, yeah. you know, it would have opened up a whole different right. role of who's going to take those spots now, who will right. take those seats. I mean, we were already talking about, okay, if Alex Padilla got it, then Lorena, Lorena Gonzalez. Lorena disappointed, yeah. and then what happens to her yeah, yeah. legislative seat? Then does Nathan so Fletcher then? <laughs> all the way down to city council exactly. in Chula Vista, right? So, yeah, it, it does matter. It does have an effect. And I think that's you know part of the fun of what we kind of prognosticate about and probably yeah. get a little bit too far ahead of ourselves. But yeah, back to your point about the whys is – she was the one candidate who could not afford to do very poorly in California. Right. Anybody else pulling 8%, you know, below, below the top three or four is going to be happy getting 8%. You, you get 8% as the home state senator, and wow, that's just kind of a— Well, and if, if Mayor Pete stays in, if he's at 8% statewide, 
he could pick up because of those congressional level Precisely. delegates. He could yeah. pick up a lot of delegates in California. And again, it goes back to this proportional, you know, nature of the of the Democratic uh, primary process. You, you come in third, you're getting delegates, mm-hmm. and that's a strategy. It's it's got to be part of your tactical strategy. What's kind of fun about this is really California becomes. 54, 56 different, you know, individual races. Right. You know, you could see uh, Castro's campaign picking up big delegates in heavily dense Latino precincts in Los Angeles and the Central Valley, for example. Warren, of course, will do, I think, exceptionally well in the East Bay. Buttigieg has, you know, raised a ton of money across the board, so he may not even need to come in first or even, you know, a second. No, you can take a, you know, a a district like uh, Raul Ruiz's um, Congressional District 36 down in Coachella Valley, where you have the entire Palm Springs City Council is uh, is LGBT, right, uh, including a, a. Transgender, the yep. first transgender elected official, yep. and you could see him doing very well there because it's 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 not a I mean it's a dem district, but it's not one that has like an infrastructure That's of exactly like a right. big labor infrastructure. You can get a lot of uh, I, I it's somewhat disingenuous to say, but I can't think of a better word. But a lot of affinity politics. That's like right. You lock on to somebody For that sure. you believe in, and that can be a combination of both issues as well as identity. Well, and that's a remarkable seat. I know we're way off topic, but yeah. it's what we do, right? Is that seat specifically, you have two competing kind of machines in that way, is you've got the Latino component on that mm-hmm. side of the Coachella Valley and the LGBTQ community right. in the Palm Springs area, both very formidable, both very strong bases of support. It would be fascinating to see a Castro and a Buttigieg come in you know, the top two in that primary. They could capture which, all, basically all the delegates. Which is kind of the cool part of California. Is I mean, that looks very different than it might look somewhere in, you know, the gateway cities of you know Los Angeles or the East Bay or the far northern parts of the state you're not going to see that same kind of an outcome but the, the delegate proportional delegate representation is it matters every district matters and we're you know California is not as different the California primary is not as different as Iowa caucuses are except for the fact that um, it's it's like playing hold'em or you don't see those final cards right um, because you can't um, you can't sort yourself um, something that's going to be happening. We're talking a lot about already today about the, the big sort that happens after Kamala leaves. And you don't, in a, in a primary system, there's no post-election sort, as there is in a caucus, where, right. okay, you know, um, yeah, after, um, you know, the, the, the crowd comes into the, the high school auditorium, they get in their corners for their candidates, those with less than 15%, it's either go to another corner or go home. Right. Whereas in California, it's either you're in the right corner or your vote doesn't really matter. Right. Except to the attributes to the statewide rate, the, the statewide delegates. Statewide delegates, exactly right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it matters. I mean, I think California is going to matter. And I think Kamala dropping out um, doesn't change that dynamic in many ways, I think. Uh, I think the big question that I've been getting asked a lot this week from all sorts of media outlets has been, should people be getting out? Um, mm-hmm. You know, look, Bloomberg just got in 72 hours ago or right. whatever it was, right? <laughs> like, this last week, whenever it was. But there, you know, I, I think there's still room for the field to grow. Um, now, it's going to take a billion, <laughs> billionaire to get in, but one just did. And I don't know that why you would drop out at this point, this late in the game prior to the caucuses, unless you were Kamala Harris's campaign. Right. I think that's the one difference because of the California factor and the it, it would have been a major setback not not fatal I mean a few things right. are fatal in this business but it would have been a very major setback to have her do very poorly in there's no news story in Vermont for Bernie Sanders correct I mean it's just, right. you know there's just there's not a story that's right. there that's exactly right um, whereas there definitely is in California and she was looking 
you know, very vulnerable here. And, you know, I we always have to do the entire speculation game of like, well, she'd be so vulnerable, somebody might challenge her for re-election. That's unlikely in I don't California. Think that happened. Um, but it certainly would have wiped her off the map for a possible VP can a VP yeah. appointment and or something always, else. That and she not might only that, want. but you always carry the asterisk for the rest of your career on how poorly you did the last time for every time your name does come up and is thrown in the hat for presidential aspirations, it'll be like, oh, but she did so poorly last right. time. The expectations game gets more difficult, harder to raise money, harder to get to especially East Coast donors to start saying, hey, this is somebody we want to, you know, it, it, the campaign, and she's a big, the, she's the a big cam- money candidate. The, the campaign I mean. <laughs> was bleeding out. The campaign was and that, internally coming apart. And that seems and to, be the, to be the ended. official story was, yeah. oh, you know, we got past uh, Saturday night's November fundraising deadline, and it was just too bad. Right. Most people, I mean, over the last week, we've seen elements of the campaign disintegrating. People seeing the writing on the writing on the wall, reaffiliating with another campaign, both donors and staff. And staff was telling their story to media outlets in very high profile and very ugly, um, very ugly stories that could actually affect her ability to be, you know, a preeminent United States senator. Right. You know, you don't want those stories to be out there very long. Now, for some people, it doesn't really matter. But again, you know, she's in the position. She's young, has a, could have a long time in the United States Senate. You know, um, Dianne Feinstein is almost certainly in her final term. Right. Uh, and so uh, uh, Kamala will be the most likely be the senior United States senator. I would proffer possibly even before the end of Dianne Feinstein's current term. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could open up and, and Gavin would then appoint a successor. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, so do you think it was primarily money or do you think it was just a combination of all of these different things? Well, a couple of things. Money was obviously a huge factor. It's very expensive. And I think just the round of the news cycle and the dismal polling that she had faced in the past month has just been brutal. And I think it's obviously I, taking a toll. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I think I saw a story last night when the Super PAC announced their big Iowa buy that she actually hasn't been on the air in Iowa yeah. since like September. Right. And that's you <laughs> know, a big story. So there's either a cash management problem or a cash flow problem. There's obviously those stories coming out. By the way, big hat tip to Chris Catalago, who was on the mm. beat for Politico covering Kamala. Absolutely. His Some of the profiles he does are just phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. journalism. And Chris is obviously a good friend from California, now in D.C., young dad. But I know you listen to the podcast, Chris. Hat yep. tip to you. You know, that round of, of reporting really... I think kind of set into chain into a motion a chain of events that was really impossible to recover from. I'm not saying it caused it. Right. I'm saying Chris really saw what was happening in the campaign and reported on it accurately. He got there first, and then he saw the New York Times and the LA Times start to cover it. But look, this campaign was in deep, deep trouble internally. Um, there were cash management f- problems and there were cash flow problems. Any campaign that loses, no matter how well run, 95% of them are going to have some sort of, you know, infighting between staff. So I don't, I don't particularly blame that. when, but, but, you know, how, is it advisable? And obviously, I'm asking a question. I'm saying it's not. Yeah. To have a family member no, as your campaign no. chair, that's an operational campaign yeah, chair. No. And see, there's a debate over is. Is, is she running the show or yeah. is Juan running the show as campaign manager? that question will always be there with family. And look, they thought they could do it. I mean, you know, John and Robert Kennedy did it. I guess they thought that they could pull yeah. it off. Um, it's not advisable, but they tried it. It didn't work. And ultimately, look, these things do fall on the desk of the candidate. The buck stops here. 
the way you run your campaign is very emblematic and symbolic of the way you would run the country. Right. Now, she just was not ready for a prime time. That doesn't mean she won't be, and I don't want to take too much away from her, but I also don't think that she was ready f- to compete at this level. Phenomenal rollout, one of the best rollouts oh, I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. Um, but you saw a lot of her inexperience as a candidate when she would freeze in front of the camera early on when she would be asked these questions that she was not briefed on. I don't know if you remember oh. that series of, of, uh, of news cycles that came out. The Tulsi Gabbard punch, uh, just a glass <laughs> jaw, just, just you know. Tulsi, today buckle. Tulsi was uh, thoughts and prayers, basically. Yeah, I thought, right, I mean. exactly, right? <laughs> I mean, just, just, and she never recovered from that. Yeah. And, and I hate to say this because yeah. people think it's a gender issue because the last two cases were Hillary and now Kamala, but the laugh. I mean, when that oh. when when there was that question from the supporter in a town outdoor town hall about how quote retarded Donald Trump's policies were, yeah. and she gave that that nervous laugh yeah. that many of us I'm sure have, yeah. but you know we're not on national stages. Yeah. And then she, then afterwards, oh, I didn't hear the question. Yeah. <laughs> there that were those little, you know, unforced, yeah, that's, unforced errors. That's when you, and that's when you start to reveal who a person is as a candidate, how they comport if themselves. Ready. If they're ready. That's exactly right. And she wasn't ready. It doesn't mean that she can't be, but I do yeah. believe that historically statewide politicians in California, before it was a one-party state, mm-hmm. were better vetted. They were under more of a micro microscope with the press and with the media because there was always the opposition party biting at your heels. You had to be more politic. You had to be more seasoned. The politicians in California today statewide don't have that... Um, that microscope. They just don't. Right. And I, in particular that, for her case in the United States Senate bid. Yeah. I, I mean, her, it was... Attorney General bid even, too. I mean, there's that's just, true. There's just yeah. not no. that much scrutiny. I'm um, trying to remember. Was it Joe Dunn? I mean... No, it was Cooley, right? Uh, was it Cooley? One, okay, And Cooley. then the AG was... Yeah, right? I mean, like, who were we running you know, against? That's, I, I asked about, well, you know, who did Diane Feinstein run against in the general last cycle? And I've asked that to a couple of people, and they're like, oh, I don't remember. Was it Loretta Sanchez? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Which is telling. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I, I think that all of these things just kind of... Look... I think the only real justification and rationale for her candidacy was that she was a woman of color from California, mm-hmm. and that brought her out with a splash. She announces essentially on Martin Luther King's birthday. She, right. she out of Oakland. Out of Oakland. Prior to the the pre rollout, rollout was at Howard University, HBCU. Right. There was clearly where she went to school. A, where she went to school. Yeah. There was clearly a lane they were trying to occupy in the primary. Could not have been clearer. And, and you would that, have thought she was fighting for that lane with Cory Booker. Exactly. Instead, it was with Joe Biden. Instead, it was not only with Joe Biden, but also I think that's where the Tulsi Gabbard punch really yeah. knocked her woozy. Yeah. And she's never recovered. Is I don't think that they were expecting the hits on the – she's a cop. She's law enforcement. She's yeah. not of the community. And, um, you know, she had a great moment with the busing thing, I guess. I think it probably rubbed some people wrong, but I think it solidified her in the minds of voters. She had a tremendous fundraising day right after that. She rockets up in the polls. She starts to become a contender. But the same thing that gave her that strength, which was occupying that African-American lane, ultimately, I think, exposed the weakness that she had with the law enforcement. Did anybody see her as Asian-American? No. I mean, she's as Asian-American as she is. Yeah. Yeah, well, not African American, yeah. Jamaican American. I have not. Seen, yeah, exactly. And I have not seen right. And that's those are those are important cultural distinctions yeah. and, and, and ethnic distinctions. 
Um, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, you might know from feedback from your folks too, but I don't no, know what. I just look at polling from a, a Asian Pacific. It didn't Islanders. seem so. And Was then you had Andrew Yang, like, who nobody ever expected, and right. his numbers are only what five percent nationwide, but still. But that's five percent. That's five percent. Yeah, <laughs> and that matters. And so, yeah, I think that they're just the the they were looking at the demography and saying this is the rationale for the, the campaign for presidency, and, and, it, and it clearly was not. It was a great rationale for a good rollout. It right. gave them a good month, but then I think people were saying, well, okay, well, what does that mean? And there was never an articulation of what that actually meant. So, what happens next to her? Next for her going back to the Senate? Obviously, the United States Senate may be under the biggest microscope we've seen. What, since Clinton impeachment yeah. or health care? Maybe probably actually back to health, you know, Affordable Care Act. Yeah. Would be the last time it's been under that much of a high profile. Yeah. And we're going to have a you know hearing where senators are going to have to sit on their hands without electronic devices. Does she just kind of fit back right in there? I think she probably has an opportunity to really catalyze herself and, and, and recast herself as a star in the Senate, especially during these hearings. Yeah. I mean, you do see some of this stuff. A lot of these folks who have major mid-career crises. The last time I was on the pod, we were talking about Katie Hill. I mean, Katie Hill's getting more media coverage She's now than she was before, place. right? So these people, these, these politicians can redefine Jeez. themselves yeah. and kind of reestablish themselves. Look, Senator Harris is, you know, setback, and it's a mild setback. Yeah. This is not going to be a big deal in a week, right? Um, it, it, I think she's going to probably recalibrate, have a little eggnog under the Christmas tree, relax a little bit, and then hit the ground running in it January. It also seems like she wasn't, so, you know, I don't know if it was her or who, but she wasn't getting the intimate interviews on TV. There were a lot of other candidates that they, they wanted to times. talk to, uh, uh, Mayor Pete and, and Andrew Yang, uh, even Tulsi, I don't think Klobuchar. A, I think that came back down to message, though. I really do. Yeah. What was she going to say? And well, so is, that, is, that, is that the, the person, you're, you're involved with media a lot. Yeah. Is that the interviewer or the interviewee? It's both. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's I think that she needed to sit down, and if you asked even Kamala or her top staff, Give us the one sentence on what you were running for president for, and she would say, for the people. Well, that's like the Simpsons. You know, what about the children? You know, stuff right. that they always joke about. <laughs> it, it's meaningless. I mean, it's a great narrative. It's inclusive. I get all that. But, you know, with Elizabeth Warren, there's a plan for health care. You know, you know where these candidates essentially stand. Joe Biden is running because he's the best person positioned to beat Donald Trump. That's his, that's right. his, that's his narrative, right? That's what he's saying. Buttigieg is the, you know, smart whiz kid who can kind of actually run things and bring the country together. That's what right. he is saying. And no foreign policy. And no foreign <laughs> policy, right? And Kamala, what, 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 what is there? And there's really not. I don't think there's well, even an in the for, to that. The For the People, that's like a California attorney general campaign. And, it, you know, this is a, you know, a, a Democratic primary that wants to hear a criminal justice conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, oddly, Cory Booker is probably the one talking about That's the most, right. and he's getting no traction right. either. Right. Which, you know, and as a lot of us were talking this morning about this, I mean, it saddens me to see, you know, two African-American or black candidates mm-hmm. not getting much traction yeah. instead of septuagenarian white guy from Scranton. <laughs> Yeah, or Castro's struggling. I mean, yeah. Probably the person right. who has driven the policy debate the most in the Democratic primary has been Julian Castro. He's been yeah. out in front of all of every one of these issues. He's talking about like health, uh, how, uh, food security, health care. I mean, LGBTQ like, yeah. rights, you know, a border proposal. Every one of these has been driven by Castro, but nobody gives them the time of day. And so, look, I think as a candidate of color, depending on the dynamics, that is a part of the, the, the institutional structural bias that is, is inherent in the American political process. I'm not going to suggest 
convinced that isn't the case. But at right. a certain point, that's not all it is. Right. And, and like you were saying with Kamala, it's not because she was a woman. It's not because she's a person of color. It's because she didn't have a rationale for the campaign to be president of the United States. She just didn't. Right. And that's something she can fix. It's something she can work on. I think as Californians, we would kind of welcome what that work is going to look like. But you can't just blame it on those other factors. You just can't. Right. Or shouldn't. Um, and uh, just, uh, you know, since we're not doing it on video, uh, Mike can attest, I'm, I'm wearing my Kamala 2022 <laughs> re-election hat right now, a hat that I usually wouldn't wear around the Capitol. We're recording it, recording it uh, Chicory Coffee and Tea on L Street. And so normally I wouldn't wear a, a political hat uh, around here. Um, but now since the re-election of our sitting junior United States senator, I can wear it again. Now, you've been part of uh, many campaigns, and campaigns win or lose, and most lose. Right. I mean, that's a fact. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people that are, you know, feel really sad for staff today, and it's going to be a tough time, a tough time for donors, a lot of people that, um, Gibran, if he was on the pod, he would say that there are a bunch of sycophants around Sacramento that were cheering her on just because they were hoping that she would get elected and they'd get an appointment or right. something, or have at least have a friend in, in the White House. Um, but campaigns do end. Um, so we're going to have a big sort. Mm-hmm. We have a big sort on two fronts. We have a big sort on the, the voters front and a big sort on the staff front. So first, on, on do you have an idea of where her voters go? Do they have a specific destination yeah. or is it a spray across several candidates? I, it, well, first of all, it wasn't that big. And we we also have to be one of the fascinating things about this race, and it's not characteristic of just this Democratic primary in this year. The last three or four election cycles have seen significantly larger fields with Mm -hmm. very fluid environments. This the Democratic base is still voter base is still extremely fluid right now. The numbers are still moving a lot. You saw Warren shoot up and fall down. You saw Kamala come up and shoot down. You've seen Buttigieg come up. Just like the last week, it's been all over Precisely. the place. Precisely. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, and it's getting close. I mean, we're getting close to decision time. So that vote base will gel, but it seems to be gelling later, and there are more candidates. I don't think that anybody is looking at Kamala's 2, 3, 4, 5% saying, where does that go? Right. It's gonna. It's probably going to be a little bit all over the place, and it's just not discernible enough to actually make that big of a difference in this race. Um, I will say something about the staffing, though. And I was thinking about this earlier on the drive because, you know, you're seeing people on Twitter saying these people put their heart and soul into it. Yeah, that's true. But let me say this. I think most of those staffers on this campaign were relieved because everybody in that campaign knew this thing was a sinking ship. And she did them the favor of letting them get off and not making them stick on that ship all the way down. Not everybody has to write a, write a letter that goes to Politico exactly or the New, York, right. I'm sorry, the New York Times right. that says this these, is why I'm leaving going to Bloomberg. These, <laughs> these staffers now have the opportunity to get on other campaigns. They're valuable commodities. They have networks. They've built up even smaller Rolodex. Right. They've got some reach. These are valuable people. I don't feel as bad for these campaign staffers, and they should be grateful to Kamala for doing it. For and other campaigns are like, wow, here's a gr- bunch of people. That's I don't have to I mean. go and like go no, to college campuses and recruit no. brand new people. And they're already <laughs> in there. They're on the ground in Iowa. They're you know, in state where they should be in South Carolina. Um, she did them a favor. And, yeah, I think there was probably some heartbreak, but the truth of the matter is, like the end of a lot of things, this has been coming for some time. Heartbreak now is better than heartbreak in June. Well, and you're probably going to have a job in a week and a half, Yeah, you know, with a different candidate, of course, but you're not going to be 
you know, in trouble and you're not going to have to sit out this cycle and, and miss your early 20s when and it's like you could do it, you're going to be able to do it again. It's likely in Iowa, too, and you don't even have to move or anything. She, I mean, she did the Baltimore a, staff is unhappy. I get that. She did them a favor, and but, I don't think that there was, um, you know, there's always the, you know, the, the, the Twitter hand-wringing about all these people put the heart and soul of it. And look, it wasn't that big of a race. They weren't bleeding that much for Kamala Harris. The problems were extremely evident, and I think most of these staffers are probably freaking relieved because they were looking at this going, this is not going anywhere. We don't have money. We don't know where we're going to get to move to, and we're not going to win this race. And she gave them the opportunity to move on in their careers in this political cycle, and that was frankly a gift, and she should be thanked for that. Hmm. That's interesting. So uh, just a kind of a closing thought, you know, where do you think the Democratic presidential primary is right now? Well, I think that that's a great question. I think that actually... Because I have no idea. <laughs> I think Bernie and Biden have stronger bases than people realize. I'm fascinated huh. by the fact that Warren and Bernie are both ideologically occupying the same lane, but mm-hmm. where they're pulling voters from are not... They're not cannibalizing each other at all. Warren is really kind of that... that that, um, and they don't like a lot of the voters. It's ideological. Like, it, yeah. Ideologically, they're the same, they're the same but they don't like each other. And that's what happens <laughs> in parties that lose their ideological core. And I say that as a Republican, yeah. where there is no ideological core of the Republican Party anymore, they become cult of personality. Mm-hmm. And you become vested in the personality, not in the ideology. And you're seeing the same dynamic happening in the Democratic Party. So if you add ideologically Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's vote, you end up with about 30-35%. If you add up Buttigieg and Biden's, you end up with about 30-35%. Mm-hmm. There's your typical middle lane and your typical you know left lane. I would argue it's a populist left a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And the rest is still undecided and kind of sorting itself out. So I think Biden has a stronger base than people realize. I think the fact that he's still in this damn thing, mm-hmm. given the fact that he's gotten literally no good news since he's gotten in there. There's never been a good news cycle for Uncle Joe. Um, no, the no malarkey tour? The no malarkey tour, right? <laughs> a lot of it's self-inflicted. Yeah. That's just Joe Biden, right? Is he's holding that base. Bernie's people aren't going anywhere. They will never go anywhere. He's not getting out of this race. If he has right. three more heart attacks, he's going to take it to the convention. And I think that we're going to be set up, and this is my prediction, I don't think that anybody's going to get a majority of the delegates prior to convention. I think this is going to be the most exciting political convention in 50 years because it's going to be decided probably by the superdelegates. Well, which the, which, which makes the races even more which, issues for Democrats yeah, after what happened in 2016. Up, it's it, like we changed the whole process. So it's, they only vote after the first vote. And, and guess what? There's a very good chance they're going to be voting. It's a very good chance that Bernie Sanders walks in with a plurality of the votes and Joe Biden becomes a nominee. Yeah. It's a very good possibility. Yeah. Oh. We'll just have to see. Well, thank you so much, yeah. my friend. We've Always known each other for a long time, long time, and I'm sure that we're going to have many more conversations during this presidential. Or many um, presidential to come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, take care very much. Again, that's Mike Madrid, Republican political consultant in California, but really an expert, just finished teaching on um, on uh, race and, and, Cal- race race and class politics. Race and partisanship. Uh, class yeah. and partisanship at the University of Southern California. Yeah. I'm sure it was a great class. Again, thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me. Boom. Good? Yeah, I think so. Right about 30 minutes. 30 minutes and 12 seconds. I think that's about perfect.